Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. I want to thank all of those who are tuning in and listening to the show. If you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe on YouTube so you can watch the video podcast of the interviews as I try to grow that platform. Um, I'm at 350 subscribers at the time of this recording, so I appreciate all of those who have su subscribed so far. And we're continuing to, to build that platform. So thank you guys so much if you could do that. I also ask just a, a quick favor if you guys are listening to this on Apple Podcasts to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts so that the show can continue to grow. Um, that's a big reason for its growth. Now, <clears throat> today on the show, I'm excited to bring on a guest who was a referral from Bob Wheatley. If you guys go back a couple of episodes and listen to the episode with Bob Wheatley, who was the uh, former professional baseball player, he referenced this coach in his podcast interview with me. Uh, we talked about this coach that helped him return from an injury and keep him healthy. And today we're going to be talking to this guy who is a CEO. We're going to get a little bit of knowledge on the business side of things, on the coaching side of things, and uh, learn a little bit more about his story, which is super unique. Uh, we're going to be talking about injuries and recovery from injuries. And if you guys have been following me on social media, you'll know that I did a, a segment on injuries and athletes going through those injuries. So this is a really important episode to tune into because you'll get a little bit of insight on the business and athletic side of the sport. So don't miss it. This is the Game Time Guru. So what time is it? Game Time Boost. This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. My name is Shane Larson, host of the show. As you guys know by now, six years running into the show. We are in 180 countries at the time of this recording. All 50 states have heard it as well. And it's thanks in large part to every single person who's ever tuned in, every guest that's ever joined the show over the last six years. As you guys know, every Friday, every single Friday, we have a new guest sharing their knowledge, their insight with us. We get to learn something new and uh, new and exciting. So today is no different. Uh, we're going to be bringing on a guest that's super, super special, as you guys heard in the introduction. Uh, we're talking about the, the world of baseball. Um, and I want to give a shout out to Bob Wheatley for you know, making the connection for me in, in, with this particular guest. I always love any kind of connection that I can get to, to have someone share their, their insight on my platform. I always love it. So shout out, Bob. If you guys remember, we had him on the show just a couple weeks ago. So go check out his interview. Uh, but here's what I got to say, man. We, we have a really exciting one in the, in the world of baseball. And it's kind of a little bit of the athletic side of it as well as the business side of it, which is something that I actually love. Um, it's one of my reasons I started this show, which is interesting. But, yeah, it's my – my passion is to kind of intertwine sports and business and show the parallels between the two. And so today we're going to get a little mixture of it all. And we got Brent Porcio joining the show, who is the CEO of Top Velocity. So we're excited to have you on the show. Brent, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Shane. I'm excited to be here and, and you know, thankful that Bob referred uh, me to you and you to me. So uh, he's a great guy. I trained him for years and he's he's already out in the business world having tremendous success. Um kudos to his work ethic he's this guy's always had an insane work ethic so um be always excited to talk about bob too oh heck yeah heck yeah well brent i'm excited to have you on the show man from you know what i understand you're a stand-up guy and you've helped out a lot of guys including bob so this is this is kind of cool you get you get a little bit of the the playing experience the business experience the coaching experience if you will like it, it's all intertwined 
But um, what I like to do, Bob, or sorry, Bob, I said Bob because we're talking about Bob. What I like to do, Brent, is uh, <laughs> rewind the clock a little bit for you, Brent, and and let's talk about your baseball experience as an as an athlete. Um, you obviously had some experience playing professionally, which I'd like to dive into a little bit too. But I want to talk about your experience as an athlete at a younger age. At like what age did you really start playing baseball? Did you start with the little leagues with the t-ball and stuff like that, or was it a little bit later in life? Yeah, I mean, it, I love sports very young. I was dyslexic, so sports really kind of gave me my confidence because I was not acquiring it in school. Uh, you know, just the challenges of learning and sports. So sports was very much uh, an uplifter, and I, I I had a talent in it, and it, it was in my family history too. And so I gravitated to very young and played as many sports as I could and stuck to baseball. Um, I think I really want to play football, but I wound up getting massive concussions. I had one that was so bad. They had to hospitalize me for 24 hours. I lost all my memory. How, how did that happen? I got hit in the game and the linebacker, like I was a tight end. I was going across the middle. I caught the ball and I just, I was the guy who was like, you're not going to take me down. I keep pumping my legs. I wouldn't let him take me down. This guy got pissed and he picked me up and he pile drive me into the ground and it pinched my spinal cord and bruised the side of my brain and I was gone. I was gone for a day. I don't, I lost everything for a day. Oh my I'm lucky, I guess I'm lucky I didn't die, right? Yeah, well as you just <laughs> bruise your spinal cord and or sorry, pinch your spinal cord and then bruise the side bruise of my brain. Side. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's an illegal tackle nowadays. Yeah. Back then it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Back then I'm, I'm forty six, so that was like ninety three or four, you know man holy cow okay so you had some i i actually want to um i didn't know this part of it so i'm glad you said this but dyslexia right um mm -hmm. i had a i had a guy on my show about two years ago his name's tamir goodman he's known as the jewish jordan he played uh basketball now he's living in jerusalem playing basketball he's pretty well known in the late 90s here in the united states um but he had dyslexia and we talked about this he's the only other person that i've had on the show in six years that kind of talked about dyslexia so i wanted to talk to you about that you mentioned sports gave you confidence right brent so did you feel like dyslexia though your the battles with that did that stem onto the onto the field or where whichever sport you were playing or did you feel it actually gave you an advantage because i would be curious to see you know what your thoughts were on that and how it might have played a role in your sports career i don't think initially it does i think dyslexia is just someone who is struggling to learn at the pace of the school system pretty much you know and or you're just not you're you're easily distracted you, it, it it you're just not as immersed as most kids and you're so you're struggling to like comprehend and and whatever your dyslexia is around so it's usually it's a learning disability right so to me, if you stick with it and you grind through dyslexia it, later in life, it inspires you or it, it really gives you a, a lift or you really reap the benefits of it. Like now I'm I'm getting my Ph.D. in health science and I already have a master's in kinesis. It's like dyslexic kid, 46. I haven't stopped going to school because that work ethic it made me build, you know, where I could barely read as a kid and I really wanted to learn and read that obsession to try to force myself to do it, develop the work ethic early on, and then propelled me later into life into massive learning or a, an obsession of learning. Um, so I think dyslexia is people are benefiting from dyslexia later in life. That's why you hear a lot of successful people had dyslexia because the, the dyslexia really helped if they, unless they quit, if they, if they push through it, it really built their work ethics, which is, you know, we know is a big requirement of success, you know? Absolutely. That's a great take on it, too. 
Um, I would encourage those who are listening to this, if you are a parent or you are an athlete yourself who might be, you know, struggling with dyslexia, that's something that you've been born with and that I believe the Lord has given you um, that challenge. Maybe take Brent's example here and, and utilize that, leverage that for later and understand that, hey, it can build a really big work ethic. Keep working at it. Understand that you might have to work a little harder at this particular point in your life uh, than some in regards to certain aspects of life, whether it be school or whatever. But if you do, if you build that work ethic now, obviously examples like Brent can can be your, your example. You can strive to be like that because you'll have that work ethic going, going on later. That's awesome, man. So Brent, yeah. as you got into the high school realm, um, at what point did you realize that like you wanted to play baseball at a higher level? Like there's all, there's always this like click for some kids. Some kids say, Oh, I'm going to play in the NBA or whatever when they're like a little kid. But like at some point there's like a reality check for a lot of kids. Maybe they're 14, 15. They're like, okay, well maybe that's not going to happen, but I could maybe play the next level at college. Or some of them are like, Hey, high school is going to be my, my goal, whatever it may be. At what point did you realize like, Hey, I got what it takes to play at the next level um, at the collegiate level, that is at, at least, um, if not the professional level, like we'll talk about, like, so at what point did you know you could go next level? Man, I think it's, it's growing up in a small town. It, it, yeah, I think it actually helps growing up in a small town because you don't, you have a lot of time to think and you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of, um, support to dream. Um, and you're not like constantly challenged, like you're constantly not reminded about how average you are. You actually can more easily be optimistic. I think when you're not in such a competitive environments when you're young. Um, so I feel like I just growing up in this small little town and I was a big thinker. It just, it was easy to do. Um, I think I didn't realize how competitive it was until I got out in the world. And then, then it was like, do you really want it at that point? And then I, I really did love it. I really did build, you know, maybe dyslexia was the underworkings of my optimism to actually spring into, you know, into fruition. And, and maybe that was just the perfect storm, but it, it, it was, I was just a big thinker. I, I really thought anything's possible. I, you know, my parents were very supportive and, you know, I loved following people that are very inspirational and, and had huge aspirations. And, and I, that's just who I was. And it just grew, grew from that. And, you know, then, then you start realizing, uh, when you see what you can do, what you'll do well and what you're not going to probably do well due to your limitations and challenges, you, you start to carve your path out of that. You know, I wasn't a big leaguer, but I did get to play professional ball. I did over, I had overcome rotator cuff surgery to do it. And which sprung into my whole business of what I do today. But if I wasn't that big thinker as a kid and in an environment that really was supportive of it, like, you know, the world's your canvas, do what you want. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I would have pushed and kept my mind that open. I might've just gone into something, what I thought was practical, like a lot of people are forced into, you know? Naturally. Yeah. That's, that's, that's super intriguing. I've actually never thought of it that way from like the small town kids that, you know, they, they develop, they can develop that type of an optimism. That's super, super cool, man. Uh, Brent, as you got into college, you did, you referenced this real quick. This was kind of on my, my to-do list is asking some of these questions was an injury. You, you battle a rotator cuff injury and you know, Brent, what's interesting about shoulder injuries. I always talk about this. I, I, I wasn't a baseball player, but when I was 28, I ripped out my, my shoulder. It was my labrum, but they had to put six anchors in there and I didn't really do well in the recovery process of that. Um, yeah. I, I have still, I'm 34, so it was six years ago, 
um, six and a half years ago that this happened. And that was like the decline of like <laughs> my yeah. health and fitness and everything. And there's a variety of reasons I say that. Um, I, I just didn't do well in the recovery process. Mentally, I took a dive. I, I don't do pain pills very well at all. Um, so I just, yeah, it was, it was a whole different thing for me. And I often have said since that time that I don't know how anybody that, if that would have happened to my right arm, my dominant arm, like for basketball, for example, I still compete in basketball all the time still. If that would have happened to my dominant arm, I don't know how I would never come back fully. And quarterbacks and pitchers and everyone who has to use that arm, I don't understand how they do it uh, because my shoulder has never been the same. So I just want to talk to you about that process of going through an injury earlier on in, in your career and, and how you battled back and maybe some of the struggles that you faced during it, whether it be physical or mental or both. Yeah, so I was 18. It was my first college appearance. I tore my rotator cuff in the game, the fourth inning. It just, my arm laid down. Uh, I couldn't move it. Um, that me, I had to immediately have surgery. Complicated that. I, I got mononucleosis right before that. I'm 18 years old, right? And um, oh that, which gosh. pushed back the surgery. And, um, and you know, I go to the surgery and the, and the doctors are like, you know, we don't really, it didn't look promising in your shoulder. And, and that's why you had such a hard time. Like, Shoulder injuries are really, it'll end any career. It, you know, in baseball, we have the infamous Tommy John surgery on the elbow. And it's actually, it's a, it actually puts more integrity in the joint than when you, before you have the surgery. So it's a very successful surgery, even though the surgery is still risking, you know, it's dangerous, but it's a very successful surgery. Shoulder does not have much success. It's, it's a very, most there's a lot of good surgeons won't even mess with the shoulder. They'll just tell you, just keep rehabbing it. You're wasting your time. Uh, it just, it's just too multi-joint. There's too much going on in the shoulder uh, to, to just go in and cut it up and expect it to keep working the way God built it, you know? So it's a really, really tough energy to come back from. And I should have probably quit, but I didn't. Once again, kind of goes back to my life of dyslexia, uh, rotator cuff surgery. Like I just, my life very early was like, I mean, I had a great life. I'm not saying like I was having a hard life, but the, the, the things I wanted to do, I had a lot of big hurdles in front of it. And I was either going to just quit and not do it, or I was going to try to go through it. And, it, you know, I just, I, I, I have a good upbringing. I had a lot of support. So I decided to run through it. And, I, and I'm an obsessive person probably because of the dyslexia. So I, so I pushed through it and I tried to learn as much as I could from it. And like I said, it built who I am today. Like I'm still studying. I'm getting a PhD in health science. Like uh, I, I'm really good at helping baseball players recover from injuries, specifically shoulder injury. I'm, I'm a big advocate of um, a lot of the abusing, abusive training modalities that exist in the sport today to try to help remove those, uh, because so too many kids are subjected to these injuries very young, like I was. That should we shouldn't be subjected that young to them. Um, but the you know, I went through a time of depression right out of the gate, 18 years old. It was literally like all your aspirations for professional baseball are gone. Like, and the doctors were telling me that. So I was defying the doctors by pushing on and trying to recover from it. And then actually recovering from it later on was a total defiance of what the medical field was telling me. And but so it pushed me into a severe depression. But once again, these are all things as you look back in life, that is what built the foundation for who I became. Right. I needed that, that, that gave me mental toughness. It gave me the, the confidence to, even though when people are telling you this is not going to work, that you find a way because this is what you want. It's your passion, right? So 
I'm grateful for all those things and all those challenges, but it made me who I am today, mainly because I didn't quit. And, and that's a hard thing to do. It, it's, it's very easy to quit. And you, maybe you need to quit because there's something else in your life that God wants you to do. I get it. But but you don't have to. I think that's the best thing about today, especially with all the information we have. Um, a lot of people, even the experts you go to, don't know everything. You know, They know something, but they don't know everything. Wait, and what? it gives you the possibility <laughs> to discover you know, new frontiers for yourself. That is so interesting. And you're so right about that. I love it. I, a follow-up to this, this question is this, I mean, we see a lot of athletes. I, I, I coach young athletes that are 17 years old, juniors and seniors in high school that are playing basketball specifically, but I, I like to be around all the athletes uh, and help them out the best that I can. And one thing I've noticed Brent is that when they do go through an injury, if they make it out of it with the re recovery process and so forth, sometimes mentally when they get back, well, for my athletes on the court, but if it's the field, it's the mound, whatever, um, it, it's hard for them to fully give their, their full effort and, and get back to that level. So I am curious for you. I mean, you made it through the recovery process, the hurdles there, but your first time back on the mound and, and actually throwing the ball in a game time situation, um, did you feel that you were like fully back or is there any tips you could give to like get yourself mentally fully there again so you can compete at that high level once again? Yeah, like severe injuries, like the torn rotator cuff. I I tell everyone, forget about who you were. You'll, it'll never be the same. I mean, that is the that is the saddest part of the injury is it will never be the same. Um, elbows are different. I kind of don't. This doesn't only only real severe injury doesn't pertain to in baseball is the elbow injuries. It, you actually could be better. But in the shoulder, you'll never be the same. And and to sit there and actually try to every day search for that old feeling of way you used who you used to be, it's you've, you're wasting your time. You're trying to go back in time. So you really just gotta do your best to get as back to as much you know as as much health as you can get back to, and learn to do better than what you were doing before, so you don't fall back into that same problem again, and and just get to a place where you start to feel confident again and you can start to compete and don't and just leave the notion behind that I'm going to, I'm going to have those same feelings again, or I'm going to be that same pitcher again, or that same player again. Like you, you just got to move on. You're just going to be new and you're going to be reinvented and you're going to have all new possibilities. Um, and, and cause to sit there and harp on the past, you know, is just pulling your darkness, your darkest moments with you. You don't need to carry your darkest moments. You just need to leave them behind learn from them, but leave them behind, you know? Ooh, that's big. That is really big. I like that. Um, and I, I really appreciate you saying, you know, the whole concept of, you know, just, you're not going to be the same player. Like basically just don't expect to be that person and that's okay. It doesn't mean you can't compete at a high level, but I think that's a very good point. I feel like a lot of athletes probably are searching for that and that's, what's causing them to struggle so much in their comeback, so to speak, is that they're just searching yeah. for that person. And it's like, no, dude, now you got to reinvent yourself as far as a new athlete a new new player it's not going to be the same but it's okay it doesn't mean you can't you can't compete that's huge that's a realization i think it's hard for some people um but it, it's it's fact and uh, once they figure that out i think they can come back a lot a lot stronger or at least at well, a high I mean, level still it falls into the same mentality of don't let people diagnose you like don't let people diagnose that you're injured or you're diagnosed that you're sick or you're not tall or whatever that's the same thing as diagnosing yourself and saying, I'm not who I used to be, or I don't feel the same way. Like stop diagnosing yourself. Just don't, you know, you don't need to define your problems. Like your problems are just your everyday challenges. And 
they might always be there. You just, so if you don't give them like representation and, and like their own polarity and you just say, yeah, they're always going to be there. Just hurdles. They're just obstacles. There's just things I'm always trying to improve and get over. And, and every day I got to wake up and they're my motivation to get better and improve. And just my reminder that I'm, I'm still in my process. I'm still going through my, my life. I'm still living my story. Um, I think when we make them, you know, when we give them weight, they start to pull us down and, and that they don't need to be that. They need to be things there that are challenging us to get better and move forward. You know, I dig it, man. I love it. I love it, Brent. You know, as uh, as we mentioned before, you did have the opportunity to play professional baseball and you're like, hey, I didn't play in the league, but like in the majors, but you did play professionally and uh, you had a chance to play overseas. And I want to I want to ask yeah. you about this experience, because. A lot of people don't realize that there are some opportunities overseas, but it's not always for everybody either. Uh, overseas athletics uh, at the professional level, it can be really good for a lot of people, and some people it's just it's tough. But let's dissect your um, professional career. I want to kind of talk about some of the, the your favorite memories in your professional career, uh, being able to play over in Europe, and, and just kind of what you learned from that experience. Yeah, so I played in Europe, and then I wound up playing here in, in independent minor league ball in San Diego. But in Europe, it was an amazing experience. And so when I watch the World Baseball Classic, which is on right now, um, I just get goosebumps because I was over there playing all those national teams, you know, the Czech Republic, Italy, the Netherlands, um, you know, all of them, Spain, and all the way into Eastern Europe. It was crazy. I played them all over there, Australia too. And it's just getting to see how they – how other cultures uh, react to baseball, play the game, treat the game, uh, respect the game. It's, dude, it's amazing. Like everybody should do it. It's the coolest experience if you really love a sport. And I would assume it's the same in all sports, but you really love a sport. You got to see other cultures play and you got to go and be a part of those cultures and play it with them. It, there's no better way to really experience a culture than to actually immerse into their life like in how they live their lives and what they celebrate and, and, you know, their everyday routines. And, and when you go and you live somewhere and you play in that culture and you play a sport, especially professionally, I mean, it's just, you're, you're getting the total experience of that culture. I don't think you get a better experience of that culture. It's, it's not even the same as being a tourist. You're, you're, you're completely disconnected from that culture as a tourist. So I, that's where it's just, it's precious. It's priceless. I would, I would want anyone to do that, to have that opportunity. Everyone deserves that opportunity and I encourage everyone to do it. Now, the problem is like, if you're a pro athlete or you want to be a pro athlete, probably not going to help you in your pro career. It can, I mean, you can go off to really good, you know, leagues and, and cultures and like in baseball, like, like the Asian cultures and the Latin cultures and, and, and it will help you. It could help you. It will keep your name out there, but um, it's not always the best move but it's a great experience. It's, it's the, the choice of saying, yeah, maybe this isn't the best move for my career, but it's a great life experience. That's where I, I highly recommend it. That is awesome, man. It's so cool. And I, and I uh, can vouch for that. Like if I didn't play professional sports, but I did live in Brazil for two years. I served a church mission there for the church I go to. And um, I can tell you right now, we didn't live like tourists. We were living in the slums and we had ourselves <laughs> part of the culture, but you learn a lot from it. And I have a whole new respect and understanding of the Brazilian culture. So I can imagine it was similar in that regard. You're actually there. You're not a tourist. You're living in it. And it's awesome. And it teaches you so much. There's more to life than just the States. <laughs> so there's a lot, there's a lot more to life. 
you know, Brent, I want to ask you, when did you know it was time to basically hang him up, man? Like, when did you know that your playing days were pretty much over? I, I would like to know that piece because that's a hard reality for some athletes. And then for others, it's like, hey, it's not that hard. I knew I was done and ready to go. So I kind of want to know what it was like for you. I actually like this conversation because I've helped a lot of, um, you know, like Bob and, and, and major leaguers uh, kind of in their careers because they, they come to me because I'm known for rebuilding guys. So I kind of have to rebuild them and then help them retire. And, you know, I, I, I've had some great conversations with some of them. And I just came to this clarification that you really don't, the game doesn't quit you. I think the easy excuse at the end of your career is that, oh, the game's going to tell me when I'm done or the game wants me out or, you know, the, whatever. You, you, you disassociate from it. And it, it never is that way. I mean, there's leagues in baseball in America that are 75 and up. You can play this thing forever. Um, and there's many sports you can do that. Maybe not football, but, you know, there's many sports. But, but the point is, is I think you do need to accept that you will quit the game. Um, and it's taking ownership. And in taking ownership, you, do, you close. So closure is a big thing. And it's the, you need closure. If not, you'll live in regret. You'll live in depression of, of what you left behind. And, and that's one thing I've had to help with the guys. And, and I went through it personally, too, was you have to be good with your decision. You have to make the decision. You have to make sure you, you, you've, you've come to terms with all aspects of it. Like, there's nothing out there. It's like, I wish I would have done this, and I should have done this, and I should have done that. Those are the, the knots you have to tie off, right? Those are the things you have to finalize. And, and, then, you, and then that's the end of your career. But I think the longer you play the game, the harder the ending is going to be because you're going to have a lot more things to close and finalize uh, before you feel comfortable in moving on. And the motivation to, for me to do it, though, to go through that process was um, I felt more I could help or I could do more with my life as a coach than I could at a player. I eventually got to the point where I saw while I was playing, I had like a line of people wanted me to help them while I was still playing. I was 28 years old playing indie ball in San Diego. And I've got young guys just from release from major league ball or triple A ball, literally like every day asking me to help them. And then you, you start helping and then you get, and then you realize you're a good coach. And I knew my legacy was going to be a coach. My family legacy are just all coaches. And then all of a sudden you're like, I really have more value right now in this sport as a coach than I do as a player. I'm still going to play. I'm going to keep playing, but I'm going to officially retire from me, you know, those searching and, and, and still playing out those aspirations of how far can I go? Because I'm going to guide this more in a more service-oriented direction because I think that's where my more of my value at this time in my life exists. And that, so that's why I, I went off this way. Now, the people that have to close the door and say my career's over, um, that's a lot harder. And once again, that's where you have to go through that process of closure and you have to make sure you close all those doors because if not, you'll be the Tom Brady's and the Brett Favre's and you just keep coming back to, the game, you know, you'll never end. You get a couple different retirement videos out there every other year. It's a right. new one. Super interesting though, man. It's cool that you were able to kind of start your coaching career in the, the tail end of your playing career. You kind of realize that that's where, where things were going. I think that's awesome. Um, now, as we shift to that coaching side of things is, you know, you, you, you're over at top velocity, you created this whole, you know, this whole facility, this whole program, this whole business. I want to, I want to ask you, you know, I always say this, 
you know, the best the best employees don't always make the best managers. The best players don't always make the best coaches. The best players don't always make the best GMs. You know, we I always look at Michael Jordan. I'm like, dude, arguably the go to basketball, but no, I shouldn't say arguably. I'll get slaughtered for that. He is the go to basketball. Oh. Um, and then you look at him as a GM and, and stuff like you could argue that maybe that's not necessarily his forte, but he's got some pockets and he can, you know, he's got a brand. But not everybody makes – it's a harder transition. That's why, like, not every – and sometimes the worst players, the p- players that actually, like, never saw the floor, never saw the field, whatever, make phenomenal coaches, right? Like, it's, it's, it's weird, but sometimes you get the good players that make the good coaches. It's a different skill set. My whole point of this is, going full circle, is that coaching is a different skill set than playing. And just, like, being a boss, is, like, a manager is a different skill set than being a, 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 an employee, um, so I'm curious if what's the hardest transition that you faced early on in your career as you went from playing at the professional level and then coaching these athletes? I mean, I, I like I said, I, my, my grandfather was a famous football coach. Um, he, he helped form the AFL with Lamar Hunt. And so I grew in that legacy of a coach. I didn't grow in the legacy of a player. I grew in the legacy of a coach. He was still a player, but he was more well-known as a coach. So I think – it was, I think it, inherently I was supposed to do it. It felt natural the whole time. So I don't think I'm a good example of probably the average person. It just felt like I was supposed to do this. Um, yeah. I felt like I really had a calling in it. Um, the, the irony is he was a minister too. And, and, and I'm a religious guy and I felt more of a calling into coaching than ministry. <laughs> so, and, but I kind of use my coaching as my ministry sometimes, but yeah. Yeah. But the point is, is, I think it's a different story for me because I, I really had a calling. I'm not saying that you won't have a calling. I'm just saying my calling came before I was even done playing. It was kind of like, hey, I'm not done playing. Stop. And it was like, nope, you're supposed to be a coach. And I was like, all right. And it, it really worked that way. Like I said, I'm not your average case. I don't think so. I mean, I literally tried to go into every other business. I helped build a huge <laughs> franchise company. I eventually get pushed back to baseball. I moved out to LA. I did movies. I get pushed back to baseball. It's like every time I tried to run from it, literally run from it, it sucked me back in. And I think that it, that brings up the question of destiny. I, I don't know. Is this my destiny? It feels like it is. Um, I question it all the time. And I think the only reason you become a good coach, if you were a good player or not, it's because you're passionate about it. And because passion takes you through hard times. I can tell you, I've many hard times as a coach. I had years where I didn't even want to do it anymore. But the passion and the love and the calling, it kept pulling me through it, through it, dragging me through it. And so if you don't have the passion or the calling or, or just the desire to be good at it, um, you're, you're, it's going to break you. Anything will break you because to be good at something, you have to do it every day, all the time. And, and so if it's if it's not a calling, it's not a passion, you're just not going to survive, man. It just it, it doesn't matter how much you want it unless the, the wanting it is, you know, the calling, the desire and and all that stuff. So I, I, I think that what you brought up is a great debate, but I think I'm not the typical candidate yeah. because I really feel like I was born to do this kind of thing. You know, no, that's awesome. This is what's cool is I get to know you personally on this platform. And so do all the listeners across the globe. This is cool because. And, and there's no shame in that. Like, uh, you know, you, you, if you feel like this is your calling uh, from it was a divine calling, that's what it is, man. I, 
I, I know this sounds corny, but I also feel that for my show. Like people will be like, dude, it's just a podcast. I'm like, yeah, it's a podcast that's now in 180 countries. I built it on my own. I didn't have any corporate funding for it. I'd done this out of my own passion and drive. And I wanted to bring people like yourself onto a show and get to learn about this and learn about these things. I feel like that was a calling because there's that's so awesome. much knowledge that can be shared. So like, it's not corny. I don't think it's cliche or nothing. I think it's a true statement that that was your calling. You're, you, ha everyone has a calling and you found it. And I think that's pretty freaking cool. Actually, like not everybody, uh, recognizes it. Unfortunately, um, I believe we're all children of the same loving God and not every one of us recognizes our calling as early as others, but I uh, found, it seems like you found it and you're continuing to do. It, and I think it's awesome. Well, I you think know, well, you can even test it if you, if, if you really, I mean, I got to the point where I got so curious about, it. I'm like, is this really my calling? So I would like self-sabotage. I did a lot of self-sabotage and I, I got to a point where I realized I couldn't even ruin it. I mean, yeah, I could ruin my finances. I could ruin my, maybe even my reputation, but I couldn't ruin the calling. I, people would still show up for my help. And that's when I, I realized I'm supposed to be doing this. You know? Ooh, that's huge. That's, that's your test, man. And you, yeah. <laughs> I love it though. That's so cool. It, it's like you said, you could you try to run away from it it keeps pulling you back i think that's so awesome yeah so talk to me about top velocity so when did that actually start because i know you started your coaching career did that start immediately as you were finishing playing or did is this something that evolved over time i want to hear about that so the listeners can kind of find out about this we probably got a lot of uh, baseball listeners so i want to i want them to be able to hear more about your your company yeah i'm an entrepreneur at heart like i love uh, innovation i love like create, create, getting in that creative process and inventing things and coming up with things. And, you know, it, it's, it's so fun, man. It's like, to me, the most exciting thing about business. Um, so I, I'm, I'm that at heart. So I'm just like an ideas guy, right? So I'm the creative mind. Um, but the, that, so that, you know, when I got pulled into coaching, I, I really didn't want to be like the, the hourly coach. I didn't want to be it. I did it, but I didn't want to be it. I didn't want to be, I didn't have the aspirations to coach a team. I didn't have any of that. I, I knew I was going to be a coach. Once again, it's kind of showing how I was kind of, I feel like I was forced into this. All right, God, I'm going to be a coach, but I'm doing it the way I want to do it. <laughs> so the way I wanted to do it was I wanted to build a business around it and something that was innovative. And the one thing that I didn't like about my playing career is there was really an extremely poor lack of education. Like the the coaches, um, the way the schools were set up and, and and how they were running these organizations, they were poorly educated, like extremely poorly educated, like third world country educated in the sport. So I was like, I want to fix this. I want to bring the education into it. I want to innovate it. I want to show people how upside down it is. And so that was the entrepreneur of me going, all right, I'm going to be a coach, but I'm doing it as a business like a school and I want to build it like a school. And that really is crazy. I don't know, I don't know why I did that because I, man, I have fought, I have fought that insanity for 16 years. I've been doing the business and now I'm finally seeing it starting to act. There's it's, 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 it's still a grind, but I'm seeing a lot more momentum in what I'm doing, meaning I'm seeing a lot more people now behind me when people used to stand in front of me and ignore me or push back at me. I'm now finding a lot of people behind me pushing this mission. And now I'm getting I'm starting to feel like maybe this was not as crazy as I thought, you know? Yeah, man, that's awesome. I, I have a big 
respect for the entrepreneurial grind. I actually work for, you might know the guy in the entrepreneurial space. His name's Russell Brunson. If you don't, you can Google him, but I work for Russell. I work for a company called ClickFunnels. So I, yeah, I'm around the entrepreneurial world all day, every day. And, and I love, I love the grind, man. I I love the visionaries that people like people like yourself, the visionary that you are. I have a massive respect for that. Uh, but they call them the 1% crazies for a reason. Uh, that's the one percenters, man. Like the majority of the world isn't going to see it the way you see it, but that's the one percenters are the ones who change the world. And you've obviously disrupted the industry in a good way. Um, and that's awesome. So tell us what, uh, you guys offer over at top velocity. What, what's, what's some of the things that you offer for these athletes? You, you've mentioned multiple times you help athletes come back from injuries and you rebuild athletes and so forth. So what, what all do you offer? Well, I knew, you know, I knew because it was me too. I, I, we're all as pitchers in in the game that that are pitchers. I've, I've focused in that far on that niche that we all want velocity. Velocity is like it's it's a game changer. You you give ten miles an hour to a college pitcher, he's a top prospect potentially if he can pitch. You know, of course you got to pitch, but velocity is a huge commodity. So I knew it was a commodity that I could build a program around, or I had a program already that I did for myself. It was the program that got me back taught me the science, got me out of the insanity of all the ignorance, got me back from my injury, showed me how to not fall back into my injury again because it was science driven. It was evidence based. It was kinetic chain, which was no one was doing. And I said, you know, if, if there is a velocity quest, which I'm on it and I found it and, and others need it, they need this program. So, you know, as as people were coming for help, I was sharing the information. I was learning my own journey to get back to pro ball and throw low to mid 90s which is well over harder than I threw it before I told my rotator cuff that I started delivering that information to them, that program to them. And, 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 and I, the, the luckiest thing that happened to me as an entrepreneur is I was posting my first videos of this content online in 2006 on YouTube and Instagram. Not many people were doing that because <laughs> it's, I think 2005 is when it started. So I'm like a year, year and a half after, uh, definitely YouTube. I don't know when Instagram was, but it was pretty close to that too. And so I'm, I'm literally, I'm defining, I'm building real estate on these new platforms that become juggernauts and for the niches of pitching. And I just, I think that was the best luck I had hit and hit in my career was I caught the beginning of the internet movement and, and I was the pitching guy and and people still know me. I go out. We have the biggest baseball convention in the country called the ABCA, the Adult Baseball Coach Association. And there's like 6,000, 7,000 coaches there. And we always get a booth. And and people always come up to me and they're like, man, I've been watching your stuff since YouTube started. You know, it's like I'm that guy. But but the point was, is that that's when um, that's what really started to build the brand. And that's when I put the brand around it. Um, I saw the future of it. I was like, wow, it's the internet. It's my program, which is it's evidence-based. It's cutting edge. It's new. It's revolutionary. And it's on this revolutionary highway of the internet. And let's just, and I'm a coach. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And it just, it like exploded. Um, and, and of course, I mean, I can go through all these crazy things that started happening, good and very bad, but, um, that's that's why I'm here. So that's why top that's where top loss starting. Top lossy is now just a big version of, of that from 16 years of development. Wow, man! And the, this this goes to your whole story that I've learned in the last 35, 40 minutes is just the work ethic, 
the consistency you're putting it in time after time. And, and it also speaks to your visionary like mindset of you saw the potential. You weren't sure hundred percent what YouTube was going to be like It was new back in 2006, but you saw the potential. So you're posting your stuff on there. Now it's like the number one search engine in the world. It's massive. You built your brand there. And sometimes you like, like you said, like there's another thing you said that I like is now you're seeing more people behind you. Whereas before they were kind of in front of you. Well, guess what? You started the movement and that's where those one percenters come in. Like you start the movement and you have to sometimes go against the grain. Um, and you have to like it. I'll also take something you said earlier. Don't let others diagnose you. Like don't, like don't diagnose yourself. Don't let others diagnose you. But you were talking specifically for like injuries and struggles. I would almost say the same thing here. Like you didn't let others and their opinions diagnose what your business model was. You saw the vision, you saw the ultimate goal and you kept pushing forward. Now you've got people behind you 16 years later. I think that's freaking awesome, dude. I, I geek out about this stuff. So um, if somebody wants to find out more, Brent, on, on your guys' top velocity, you know, what you guys have to offer, any camps that you guys have or anything like that, where do they go? Yeah, so because of 16 years of being on social media, you know, it's top velocity. If you search at top velocity, you're going to see um, like Instagram. I've got like almost 4,500 posts. So, I mean, I've put a lot of content out there. I post two to three times a day and I've been doing at least one post a day for 15, 16 years. And so it's like people see my followers and they're like, oh, that's pretty good. And I'm like, not really. I've been doing this for 15 years. It should be bigger than that. <laughs> but dude, it's consistency that yeah. oh, I love. I love talking to guys like you, man. You understand the game. You understand the consistency factor. So I'll make sure to put in the description, though, for everybody here. Like we've got YouTube, Instagram, everywhere. We got a website that we can link here for you, um, so that you can, Appreciate you know, it. for all those who are interested, they can can check it out and see what you guys have to offer. Same thing. I'm, I'm excited to share this with my audience so they can learn more about what you're doing. I appreciate that, man. Super, super cool, Brent. Now I, I want to ask you one last question uh, that kind of ties all this together. What do you feel is the biggest lesson that you took from sports as a as a competitor as an athlete that you have been able to apply to your business? The biggest parallel, if you will, is that six. I mean, it's it's, it's hard getting away from the cliches, is but it's that success is um, it's multifaceted. It's it's a it's a physical um, challenge. It's a mental challenge. It's a spiritual challenge. It's a scheduling challenge. It's multifaceted. So it's like, it, yes, strive for success. Set your aspirations as high as you can, your dreams, your goals. But don't be naive to think that I just got to do one thing well. That's the biggest mistake we make when we're, you know, layman and just getting started. We think it's just one thing I can do well. No, it's a multiple of things that you have to bring into unison. And you have to create this perfect symmetry of them that you use to harness and propel into your future. So, you know, yeah, hold on to those dreams, but don't be naive in what you think it takes to achieve them. Um, challenge yourself, be extremely open, and, and work your ass off, man. I dig it, man. I absolutely love it. Brent, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you, brother, and I hope that we can stay connected in the future as well, man. I just... I love what you're doing over there. I just love what you're about. I think it's super cool. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining us and being willing to take time out of your week, which you're extremely busy in. And, and you were able to share this on our platform. So I appreciate that. And yeah, I just want to say thanks, man. Thanks, Shane. I, I really appreciate it, man. And uh, yeah, congrats to you. And, and I 
I pray for all your future success. So. Appreciate you, brother. And for all those who are listening, hopefully you guys enjoyed it as well. The only thing I ask is that you guys leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. So if you guys haven't done so already and you're on Apple or Spotify or whatever, just follow the show and leave us a review. It always helps the, the show get out to more and more people. And uh, if you subscribe, you'll be lucky because we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care, guys. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.